Welcome to episode two of Civil Conversations. How are we? A white woman and a black man. I sat down with Ashley Stiegwert and Tony Jenkins to discuss things from their perspective. I ask questions and we converse about their past and we bring that into current day topics and discussions and just how are they and how are we? Uh, and this conversation was very insightful to be able to glean from very personal experiences and then translating and transversing and converting that over to uh, the way the whole world is uh, being impacted today. I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation. It was pretty dope. So what's up, everybody? It's Matt again for Civil Conversations 2. Uh, a white woman and a black man is the one, is what I'm calling it this week. Um, I'm pretty excited about this conversation because it's kind of a continuation from last week, but with just different people, right? Uh, basically, how are we, right? And so a lot has transpired this week, you know, from uh, the things with monuments going down and being defaced, I mean, being beheaded, uh, to uh, defunding the police. Uh, I mean, it's just the list goes on and on, right, of what's been going on. And I thought it would be really good for uh, me to pull or for us to, to be able to experience a conversation between two different sides from a, a gender standpoint and location uh, going into this week's conversation um, and bringing in different types of uh, experiences. I wouldn't say expertise because I feel like sometimes when I say expertise or you hear expertise, it's like different, you know, it's like, oh, well, this person with this many letters behind their name is now talking. I think there's a lot of value in just everyday people like the three of us or, or like everybody else who's watching right now. Uh, and just learning from each other. Um, and so the concept of, co of civil conversations, just as a reminder for everyone, is that I will be bringing on two or three guests to talk live with, uh, with me, and they've never met each other before today. And typically, most of the meetings would be 10 to 15 minutes beforehand. So Tony and Ashley have literally just met about, I think it was at 6.45 this evening. So that's what makes this exciting. Um, overall. So first off, I would like to give Ashley an opportunity, a couple minutes to uh, basically answer this one question. And then I'm going to have Tony answer the same question as well. It's like, how are you, Ashley? How are you doing? Um, how do you feel as the white woman uh, uh, or a white woman? And it's important for everybody to understand she is a white woman. She does not represent every white woman. She does not represent uh, every wife but she may reflect some of the things that some of you guys may share. So Ashley, uh, just let us know, how you been and what's been going on with you? Tell us a little bit about yourself as well. So I'm conditioned to answer that thing is that question as I'm peachy. <laughs> um, I was raised in the South. I was born, um, raised in Richmond, Virginia and kind of moved a little bit of all over the place and those experiences of moving to different places and different cities um, has kind of shaped me into kind of being a standout from the family I was raised in as far as being raised in a conservative family. Mm -hmm. But I found my own views that differed from them and I've kind of dug a little bit deeper and built on my own thoughts separate from the family that I grew up in. So there's, there's at times um, combativeness <laughs> in conversation with my very own family. And I know that there are a lot of others out there 
that can, can kind of, uh, feel that very same way. Mm-hmm. I know that a lot of generation X and Gen Z individuals can very much have differing views from their family because we have access to more tools than our family had. We have access to more, um, social media and, Mm -hmm. and really, um, friends in general, we've, you kind of gain knowledge as you grow and, uh, when I went to college, it was kind of my great, I like to say it was my great awakening because it opened my eyes up to a world outside of the small town that I grew in, grew up in, in the suburbs of Richmond. So, um, that's really when things started to make me go, Hmm. And then digging into that and kind of forming my and shaping my own views, not from like news media or anything like that, but simply education and the want to know more. And so I, I, I look around to a lot of my white friends and see that the great awakening that I had years ago going to college is currently happening to them. And they're, they're sitting with that uncomfortable feeling and not really knowing what to do. Can I ask you a question? Is that like, is that a way of kind of like, I appreciate how you just brought that back and not to, not to cut you off. I know you about to, I know you were going somewhere, but I thought thought it was interesting. You said the great awakening, how you brought that back to how you feeling today. Is that like a, um, it's, you know, the term woke is big right now. Like, you know, well, it's been around for a little while, but like, do you feel like that they're, they're starting to become woke? Or, or they're like kind of like, I don't say woke, but like, is it just kind of, you, you know, does that make sense what I'm saying? I would say yes. Um, because when I was sitting, I took um, human sexuality as an elective my freshman year of college, okay. which also happened to be an election year. <laughs> so it kind of, it kind of opened doors to me because that class alone, I took it as an elective because it was quote unquote, an easy, um, an easy thing to take. And it wasn't easy for me at all because it caught me all up in my feelings (laughs) because I was suddenly learning about these things that I would never taught or, or improperly taught. Mm -hmm. Um, so that, that freshman year in particular, that first semester of college, I kind of had my wake up call because of that class alone made me start questioning things and they do touch on race and human sexuality and I just I learned so much because I was also surrounded by people different like culturally I was surrounded by 
people from all walks of life. So it, I'm a, I like to say that I'm a student of life. Like I'm always learning and life is so fluid. So it's constantly evolving and constantly changing. So if you're not constantly learning, then you're not growing. That's, I think that's huge. I, um, it's funny you say that because I was just thinking, I was talking to another friend of mine. He's, um, he's actually white. He made a similar statement like that just last night. We were chatting about all that's going on. And he's just like, you know what, Matt? I realize I just have more to learn. He's like in his 40s. And he's like, I just have more to learn. I can't, I can't um, let that go. You know what I mean? Um, so before you continue, I'm curious then, since you talk about education and stuff, I think this would be a good segue for Tony because it's what he does for a living. But like, how do you feel, Tony? How, how, have, like, how have things been for you the last couple of weeks? You know, maybe sharing that with myself and Ashley, you know, and we can kind of, you know, how you been? Hi, thank you. Thank you, Mac. Thanks for having me. You know, interestingly, um, it, it was interesting to hear Ashley speak about, you know, this great awakening that she experienced in college. Because I think there's something about college where that happens to you. You know, I grew up in Baltimore City, you know, liberal, predominantly um, black city. So when I went to college, I went to a small private liberal arts college. And, you know, I'm dating myself a little bit here, but I was in college right around the time the Rodney King beating happened. I was in college. That was my freshman year. And I remember some black students on campus organizing um, a march around campus. And as we were marching around campus, uh, a gentleman on my football team yelled out the window, uh, and he wasn't part of the, he wasn't part of the march. He was a uh, a white male on my football team, and he yelled out, "Rodney King got what he deserved." So, when you think so, when you talk about this greater weight, I'm coming from Baltimore City, and to hear that, you know, that was kind of a, a great awakening, um, the great awakening for me. But Matt, you sent me um, a text. Uh, three weeks ago, maybe a couple weeks ago, and, and it just said, "Bro, I'm struggling." Yeah. And, and so, yeah. I think when I think about how I'm doing, you know, when you think about how this is all impact me, you know, I didn't answer you right away because because I was struggling as well. You know, um, when I think about my life, I know I've done a lot of things in my life. You know, some most of those, some of those things good. Some of those things not so good, but two of the greatest things I've done, the two of my greatest accomplishments was um, getting married and having a son. Right. And I think about that because I've encountered civil arrest, unrest uh, in my lifetime. I've encountered racism. I've encountered overzealous police officers, and I'll put that mildly, you know. Um, <laughs> But there was something different about this one, about this situation. Um, and in my emotions, you know, and I was one, some days I was, I was sad. Some days I was uh, ready to fight. Some days I was angry. Um, but one of the best things that happened starting with COVID was I have five great friends, and, and it's nothing like having friends. You know, when you talk about guys that have known me 
since I was 13 years old. And they know everything about me. And they're able to check me uh, when I'm not on point. But they're also uh, some of my biggest cheerleaders. So when I think about, you know, being able to have conversations with those guys, I mean, and we have daily conversations. Uh, we have a chat line, and we're just going and going and going. You right. know, and you start to see um, we, we all had an opportunity to kind of relive, you know, these experiences, these experiences with racism, these experiences with uh, discrimination. And we're all college educated. You know, we're, we're part of that crew that you would say made it, you know, because coming up and growing, growing up in Baltimore, you know, there were many that, that looked just like us that fell by the wayside. Um, so in my struggles and in, in my emotions, I sent uh, an email out to my staff, out to my coworkers, you know, and, and I just said, hey, I'm all over the place with this thing, you know. I'm struggling, you know, and I put a clip in there from, from Family Matters uh, from 1989, you know, and I just said, hey, I was a sophomore in high school in 1989. And the clip from Family Matters was about the son who had been, you know, pulled over by the police. They yeah, said, he, so. yeah, said, it said his light was out or his blinker, he had the wrong yeah. blinker on or something. And, you know, they pulled him out of the car, threw him on the ground, you know, and that was 30 years ago, you know. And so now here we are 30 years later and thinking about what we've been seeing within the news, what we've been seeing uh, happening. Now I have my sons to think about. Yeah. You know, and, and, and. Go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. And, and you know, so, so it, it hit me like way deep down in my, in my gut. I'm just like, man, I need to do something, you know, to make a difference. I have to do something to make sure that my boys don't grow up, one, experiencing the things that I experienced, but living in a world that, that we're living in where people are being ostracized, people are being um, discriminated against. Right. People's lives are being taken because of a lack of understanding, but more so because of a color, the color of their skin. So, so you know, it's wild. Like when you think about the the times, you know, like um, y'all tell me what y'all think, because even just listening to both of you telling your your stories, like especially from a historical standpoint, and we're we're like we're young in this like in this race issue in the United States. Like, I mean. Let's be real for a second. None of us was like in World War II, World War One. Right. None of us have been slaves. And so, but it's wild to see that like some of these same conversations are still happening happening today, right? So when that happened with Eddie Winslow back in, in um, 1989 episode, I, I'll never forget that episode, yeah. you know, um, because uh, what stood out to me the most was that I mean, his dad was a cop and he he, even he questioned him a little bit. You know what I mean? And so it's like, it's like, it's crazy to see that, you know, um, and to think about that stuff. Like, so for you, Ashley, like in your spaces, do, do you feel like, I guess because of your history, do you feel like or believe that it's, it's like, well, at least for you, it's, you've been aware. Is that correct about this for a while? 
probably the last 15, 20 years? I think we lost. Did we lose, Ashley? Uh, did you get, did I, I don't know. Did some, Oh, there it is. You're back in now. All right, can you hear me now? All right, yeah. yeah. I was saying from your perspective, like, well, all that's been going on, like how, how Tony brought up, you know, the, the Eddie Winslow situation from Family Matters and, like, the Rodney King thing. And here we are back, you know, here we are in 2020. I was just saying, like, for you, like, have, do you feel like, man, this has been going on a long time, too, based on your own experiences as well? Well, I know that it has been going on a really long time, and I don't think – I think so many people think we are so far removed from Jim Crow era and don't realize that they're – if you are above the age of 80, you are an adult during the Jim Crow era. So there are people <laughs> there are people living on earth that were adults through that era. And so we aren't so far removed from from it. And yeah. so when I when I hear people saying, well, get over it or that was a long time ago, none of them were affected. I mean, I also had studies in epigenetics in college, so I understand a little bit more than the average person that trauma is built into your DNA. It is passed down, and it it's hard to explain that to somebody that is closed-minded and not willing to listen or even look up the term epigenetics like yeah it it's it's very hard so i know that it has been happening for a long time but again i didn't know that because of the family that i was brought up in i know that because of the studies and the wanting to know wanting to be better wanting to acknowledge it recognize it and not only recognize it but even today I know that I have racial biases that were ingrained to me into me growing up like I didn't realize it growing up but I recognize them now and daily almost I have to catch myself and be like eh there are some other factors here yeah take a step back, turn it around. I mean, for a lot of people, I was raised in the South in a conservative family. So I know because of my education that there was a time that the American flag was seen as opposition in the South. Right. And wow. <laughs> I know that because of my education. But again, not because it was taught to me, it's because I sought that out. Right. Mm -hmm. And I have a huge problem with the way race or slavery or Jim Crow is approached and taught in schools, especially schools in the South. It is kind of a side note. It is just rushed right over. You see so, a lot of people are hearing terms being used in there, like 
for example, my very conservative family telling me all the time, like, Jesus loves little children, kumbaya, red, yellow, black, and white. You love everybody. But then you drive down the street with my grandparents, and the second they see a black person, they lock the doors. That tells me something completely different as a child than what you are verbally telling me. But see, can I ask you a question on that? And I think, I think, um, and, and Tony, please jump in. I, I, sorry to cut you off because you just said something that's like super critical. Um, I, I've had a hard time with explaining racism or biases is, are, are taught. Like, I believe it. But what I mean by that is like what you just explained, it wasn't like a textbook education. It was education by action. Right. Like, so for, for somebody to lock the door whenever they saw a black person walk by, you were taught a certain way of how to react. Basically, you were taught how to react to that. You know, I mean, does that make sense what I'm saying, Tony? And, and yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, when you think about it, when you think about this idea of racism and, and the system of racism, it is baked into American history. It is what America is, you know. Um, and I know that there are a lot of people who believe that this idea of white privilege and racism does not exist. They think it's a farce. They think it's, you know, if you call them out, if you say something about it, they think it's, oh, that's another black person crying wolf. But when you think about white privilege, for instance, you know, you walk into your local store, you walk into the local CVS, you walk into Walmart, you walk into Target, right? I remember vividly being eight, seven years old and going with my mom to the grocery store. And, and back then, grocery stores, you can get hair care products. And we would walk down the aisle and my mom's looking for stuff that she would always buy. She was going to get that can of Blue Magic, um, or that royal uh, hair grease, right? She was doing my sister's hair. They were using the straightening comb and things like that. But those things were, you walk down this long aisle of products and you find one slither of combs that um, people of color, black people use, and at the bottom you find the hair grease. Right? And in stores, those products are locked up. And now, and now those things are locked up. And that was, when, that was when I was eight, nine. Here I am, you know, 30 years later. Right. Now, if you, if you go to Target, Target has two rows of hair care products. But there's a still a three-by-three three section of hair care products for uh, women with natural hair. So when you think about, actually, as you, um, as you so carefully mentioned, you know, when you talk about things being baked into what we, what we know, baked into American history, you know, this idea of systemic racism is there, you know, and that's just it on a small scale. Yeah. You know, when you start thinking about it on a much larger scale, we can get into redlining, education, and all of those other things. So can we, like, how do, how do we, is it feedback on my end? I just want to make sure. Okay, we're good. You're fine. I, I'm trying to figure out, like, how do we, and I want to be fair and balanced, right, when it comes to, and we're not going to have a lot of the, the 
and it's kind of tough, right? Because it depends on the type of um, counter arguments to this statement here, because I'm hoping to have more of that on these next civil conversations. But like being able to, to explain systemic racism is very difficult, right? Because the word racism has a default negative connotation to it, no matter what, right? So I, it, not saying it's system, systemic racism doesn't exist. What, but what I'm saying is that people's willingness to understand that it exists or want to understand that it exists, they become defensive at times because it's like, I'm not racist. What are you talking about? Or that doesn't actually exist. You know, I mean, how do you guys feel like there's a way to explain that in a manner that is healthy for conversation so they know, like, hey, look, these, like, would you explain, Tony, about the, basically, you, you explain the way the environment has basically been designed for a specific group of people is a form of a systemic racist. And, and let, let me just piggyback okay. on that. Um, and, and Ashley, Ashley uh, made a, a great point when she spoke about her having to go out and seek education. She had to go out for herself and find out and learn about so that she could understand. And I think that's one of the issues that we have. But when you think about um, systemic racism in our society, you have to go back. And we've been, I've been talking about this last 30 years, but uh, let's multiply that 30 years times five. So we go back 150 years. We go back to right around the end of the Civil War, you know, when two things happened right around the end of the Civil War. First, there was this idea of redlining, right, where um, Blacks were forced to live in certain areas, right, and because they lived in these certain areas, they couldn't, they, they weren't, in, they didn't have the opportunities that whites did. They, they weren't able to get bank loans. They weren't able to uh, get some of the things that they need while that was happening. So, so and, and that's how, as we know, the, the quickest way to build wealth uh, in America is through, you know, home ownership and education. We already know that it wasn't until 1954 that schools, um, uh, schools were desegregated. So when you're talking about 1865, you're talking about, first and foremost, Blacks weren't able to go to school in terms of or go, go to any of the top schools because of segregation, right? And then you had this idea of redlining. So banks would, banks would not give loans to um, people of color or black people when they would give loans because they lived in certain areas, but they would give loans to um, whites. You know, there was, a, there was actually in the 80s, there was a study done in Atlanta and in that, that investigation showed that even in the 80s, 1980, that redlining was still happening. And people of color who had better, they, they had better incomes, better credit scores, they, they were mid to high income black families, but white families were still getting loans from banks before, they, before those families would. So that was happening. So education and property values. And we know that you, you, you own property. Once you start to own family, now your family is able to start building wealth. Now you're able to pass that, that legacy or that piece of uh, property or that piece of wealth down to your children. And we're talking about 150 years of that. So whites have had a 150 year head start on us in terms of home ownership and things like that. So, so, 
So when it, I'm sorry, were you about that? Were you, yeah. Uh, one other thing that happened right around that time was uh, the Homestead Act. And the Homestead Act simply meant that as families wanted to go, um, families that were citizens wanted to move out west, they were given 160 acres. Think about that now, 160 acres of land, and all they had to do was cultivate that land. So mm -hmm. we hear, so you're, you move out into the heartland, you have 160 acres, that's yours. Imagine what you could do, what you were able to do with that over the course of 150 years. So while you, as a homesteader, was able to go out there and really um, multiply your wealth with those with that 160 acres, right? Black and families that were that stayed um, along the coast, white families, they were able to go to college. They were able to buy homes, so they were able to multiply their wealth. Black families were um, didn't have anything to multiply, you know. They lived, they worked, they rented, they did those things, but there was, there was never an opportunity for them to build any wealth, to sustain any legacy. So now you hear people making comments about, you know, black families need to, you know, pull themselves up by their bootstraps. They need to do this. You know, they talk about these cities that are, uh, these liberal cities uh, that are in shambles. But again, when you t look at the system, when you look at the way this thing has unfolded over the last 150 years. And I'm only going back 150 years. We know this long, uh, well before that. But if you go back, you know, uh, 150 years where it started and you look at where it is now, you can start to understand why for many of us, this is the first, we're the first generation um, of individuals that are going to college. And I think, I think the way you just explained that is really good, especially because I think a lot of us and, I, and, and this is where, actually, I would love to hear your take on this because this is huge, right? Especially when you're talking to, um, you know, your white counterparts. Because I, I, I have white friends that trust me and I trust them, so on and so forth. So we, ha we can have these conversations. But the dialogue that Tony's talking about, I find is a dialogue that I've done. But, like, how would you do it? Like, so he gave great, like, when I said, hey, systemic racism and white privilege. Like, for you, like, how would you handle that? Or how do you handle that, right, in conversations with people? And from your perspective, because I probably lean a lot more towards Tony, but I'm not white. And I don't know, and that doesn't mean every white person only listens to white people. I know that's not the case. But I don't know. I just want your perspective on that, you know? So, for me, I have always been acutely aware of, like, ever since I can remember, acutely aware of my privilege because I was, my next door neighbor um, growing up, uh, I, where I grew up, my next door neighbor and I had a neighbor across the street, both biracial families. The one across the street, he's actually um, a black police officer. And so I'm surrounded by like a multitude of different, um, different viewpoints that allow me to make up my own mind about right and wrong and we all know right and wrong mm -hmm. and i was raised in a conservative christian family and you're taught right and wrong so then you're conflicting 
your views when, um, so my grandparents were, um, I guess you would consider them segregationists. They were in support of it. Mm -hmm. And knowing what I'm taught in Sunday school, it blows my mind that you can be a segregationist and be call yourself a Christian. That was really, really hard for me to understand as a kid. Wow. But seeing that um, my next door neighbor, and we are very close in age, her name is Karen, and her father's black, her mother's white, and I really learned a lot from growing up close to that. So not everybody that's raised in conservative Christian homes even know a black person from where I grew up in the suburbs. It, it just, it's a thing. Like my mom, my mom, um, she didn't really know or interact. She probably knew of, but I wouldn't say that she interacted with black people until the last two years of her life. And specifically the last six months of her life, when we put her in um, a nursing home and the entire staff that took care of my mother so lovingly did so were black. And that was really my mom's first hands-on experience with black people. And it really probably was the best thing that ever happened to her because it shifted her viewpoint. And even she, she has like, um, one of her, her favorite nurse, she'll tell you to this, to this day, if she was still living that her favorite nurse was Matika Dupree. And she loved Matika so much that she adopted Matika into our family. And we, we love her. I mean, I absolutely adore her in every sense of the matter. But if I would have ever imagined my mom adopting um, a black person five years prior to her actually saying so, I would have laughed at you. I would have laughed at you because my mom, she didn't act. I mean, it's, it's not really her fault. I can't blame her for it. She was retired and she was in that community of going to church and going home, going to church, going home. So can I ask you a quick, a crazy question from a white perspective? And I'm, and I, I hate to make these general terms because I don't, I do not believe that any one of us represents the entire. Okay. Um, but like, is, is it racism or ignorance? I think it's a little bit of both because I think racism, well, there's two separate things that happen. You have racial biases, which can turn into racism. Um, mm -hmm. But I don't think a lot of people understand the difference between the two. And I kind of touched on that a little bit earlier is 
I was taught racial biases, but not verbally. I was taught them by action, like sitting in the den watching TV with my grandma, a black person coming on the channel and she changes the channel. That teaches, that teaches me something. Like my jaw, I'm sorry, <laughs> I could not keep a straight face on that one. That well, blows that my mind. Happens and it, it is I, much I'm more. Blown away. Like I'm blown away. It is well, much more evident. I mean, I could, I could tell you story, and it's not that my grandmother was a bad person. You just have to understand what she was taught, and then what she was taught passing it down into generations of her family it it morphs and changes and it's fluid because every generation gets a little bit more knowledgeable yeah so. and i think i think actually uh and not to cut you off actually um i think you made you made a great point um when you talk about this idea of it being taught you know whether it's um um, directly or indirectly, uh, but when you, but when you think about this idea of it being part of the system, something that's being taught generation after generation becomes systematic. Um, and when we think about the another thing that was taught was this idea of oppression, you know, and oppressing you know people of color and again something that started uh during slavery continued after slavery continued through jim crow and it still continues today so when uh, matt you asked the question uh you started you started this uh portion this segment off talking about how do you get people who aren't black to understand that history really details or details that or line or outlines that force but uh to ashley's point or matt you asked the question is it ignorance or is it racism ignorance simply means that you don't know right if you don't know something then you should go and find out you go and you learn um but but what happens is what happens is individuals will learn one thing, racism, and they will accept that as the truth. So I think it starts off as a level of ignorance, but then you buy into what you learn, which is you learn racism, so that becomes your truth. So what about this then? What about this then? Like, here's another part, right? And I'm saying this because I've had... I don't think I mentioned this on the call last week. Maybe I did, but you know, for that first seven days or so after the video was released, I got about 32 different text messages, emails, and phone calls from my white uh, coworkers, friends, et cetera. And I am thankful for every single one of those uh, calls and text messages. I'm very thankful for each one. What I found is that the more I've been telling my story or I'm Tony, I don't know if this happened to you or whatever, I think, I think there's another level of nuance when it comes to ignorance and, and like, well, before we even get to racism, it's 
some people may not think it's important to know because it's just not in their day to day. So for example, when I tell my story to, I've told my story to a couple of white friends of mine who are men and they're like, how in the world could this happen to you? Now it was important to them. Right. Like right. now it was like, and when I say it's important to them, it's not like I'm impacting their paycheck. I'm not impacting like their kids. I'm not a teacher. I'm a friend or a coworker. And they're like, whoa. So now I think there is this level of, I want to go learn. So I wonder if our separate, this is going to sound so deep, but I wonder if our years of separation had, especially on a class level, has it, has, has impacted our ability to care to learn more about the other side, right? Especially, does that make sense what I'm saying? Because we just may not be around, I didn't grow up around a whole lot of white folks. I didn't start working with white folks until I started going to the city. This I'm from New York, so the city is just going to Manhattan, right? So, like, that's when I started. Most of my friends are all Hispanic, you know, uh, Indian and Caribbean and Black, right? Of course. Um, but does that make sense what I'm saying, y'all? Like, where I'm going with that? I mean, Ashley, what do you think about that, where I'm going to? Well, yeah, absolutely. I think there is an element to it that um, I think it's hard for white people to, uh, I don't, I don't know how I want to word this, but, you, um, it's, it's a safe space. It's between us three and the, and God knows how many viewers. <laughs> I think it is easy for white people to empathize, but it's hard for us to put ourselves in those shoes of because we will never know. We will never understand what it's like to be judged solely on the basis of our skin color. We, we will never know. We can empathize with it all day, but we will never know what, what, that, what that's like. And so that being said, I think the only thing where it truly impacts people where they can say enough is enough as a white person enough is enough is if they truly have black people close to them that it impacts them so it impacts us i i don't know if i'm explaining that but there are white people that don't have black friends they have black associates that they don't feel comfortable having these conversations with, but they don't have black friends. So it's hard for them to really stand up true. And for example, if you're an animal lover and somebody torments a dog, it's easy for you to be able to say as an animal lover, hold on, that's wrong. And stand up and stand your ground and say that is not right we need to do something about this yeah if, as a white person if i don't have any black friends and i am stuck in this bubble of not really having the knowledge or the intent to want to know because there are a lot of white people that don't even want to know. They don't want to be bothered with any of this. And that hurts my heart because I just know that 
how, how much diversity has enriched my life that it makes me sad that there are people that block out all of this that, that is happening around them going, well, it doesn't apply to me. So let's move on. I think, go ahead, Tony, you go ahead. You. Yeah, just, just, you know, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about the, um, that individual that can, uh, that can care less. You know, a lot of those same individuals, you know, we, you know, would consider themselves Christians. You know, and, and that, and that's, you know, when you think about this idea of just having love for for the next human, you know, that's this. That's where I think that's what's confusing to me, you know, because religion, particularly Christianity, you know, tells us to love, you know, to love our brother, you know. So it's almost. I, I, I was with you actually when you when you talked about you know not being a dog owner, you know, and and not and not uh, and not um, having any empathy for me because because my dog um, is dying if you're not a dog owner, but not having any empathy for for your human brother, yeah. for for yeah. that human being. I mean, which, it, has which to, it has to kind of make it gets deeper. <laughs> Did we lose Ashley? Yeah, but I was just saying it gets it gets deeper. You know, when you when you start talking about when you start thinking about an individual not not, not yeah, it has about to kind of make you sit in that. Hold on a second, Tony. I want to see if we can get Ashley's feed in. Oh, oh Ashley, go ahead and start over with your comment because I think we lost you for a second. Oh, I was just saying it has to, it has to tell you something when you are willing to stand up and stand your ground for animal rights, but you are not able to stand up and stand your ground on racism. Like, it, it blows my mind. Like, I understand that it's uncomfortable, but people also have to understand that growth comes from being in that uncomfortable zone because you wouldn't be uncomfortable if you were knowledgeable. It <laughs> like, I got it. Yo, uh, say that one more time. Say that one more time. You wouldn't be uncomfortable if you were knowledgeable on yo. like, and it's the it's the truth. Like when you get down to it, it is the absolute truth. Because when the movement or the revolution started, I was not surprised. I was angry. I was mad. <laughs> like ready, ready to take the stand. And I've been calling out people. For a long time <laughs> so th this isn't new to me but i know that it is new to a lot of people yeah let me let me ask this and tony you make a comment so i'm gonna do in the next like over the next 10 minutes people are making a lot of comments 
So I'm going to start addressing some of the comments and, and statements so that way we can kind of raise them up a bit in the conversation. That's why I keep looking down at my phone. Some good stuff from both Jason's and, you know, Bill and everybody like that. So I want to, I want to bring some, some of that stuff up. Uh, Tony, were you about to say something before I jump into this? No, go right ahead. So uh, it, yeah, yeah, let, me, let me jump on. You know, I was thinking, I was listening to what Ashley was saying. Um, and, you know, she, she talked about calling out people. You know, and, and I was, you know, just thinking of when, you, when, when I'm thinking about calling out people and I'm thinking about, you know, uh, just go ahead, go ahead, Matt. I'll, I'll come back to that. No, you can. So I'm going to start with um, Jason Parrott. Um, I'm going to do the two Jasons and then I'm going to say something. Jason Parrott said, what if a white person was raised with racism? but they were sheltered and don't even know it's wrong until it's too late. It's sad, but could be true. And then he kind of made a follow-up statement to clarify. He said, I just want to clarify, I wasn't making an excuse for racism, but just pointing out that the motive may not always be part of it. And I, I want to comment to that real quick. I, I, so when I first moved to the South from New York, I actually thought that um, at first, I was like, yo, race is a huge deal in the South, from New York to, to Richmond, Virginia. I was like, yo, at least up the North, we were so segregated in sections, like you got Spanish Harlem, you got this, you got that, you got whatever. You just kind of knew where not to go, right? You just wouldn't, like, you just knew. In the South, it was like, it was just strange for me. But I really do believe, like, there was this one time, there's a story, we went to a church in a place called Montpelier, Virginia, my, my family and I. We were the only black people that walked in the door. And not only black, we're Nigerian, right? So we all, you know, my parents have the, the accent, the Nigerian accent. And a, a little boy turned around. He's probably like three years old at the time. This is back in 2000, by the way. He's like three years old. He turns around and says, mommy, why is their skin darker than ours? I would never, ever, ever consider that kid racist. Never would. He just literally didn't understand why our skin was darker than theirs. Like it was just, it blew, it blew my mind. So to Jason's point, I kind of, I kind of, feel him on that that doesn't necessarily mean that it's an excuse to do wrong but it may be a reason for, for the racist thinking i mean any any thoughts to that can i ask you a question about like when were you how young were you when you first had to talk about race in your family oh young and my situation is a little bit more nuanced than tony so you may tony may be able to answer this one because I'm Nigerian, I'm first generation American, right? So I'm born and raised here. So I had a double talk. It was, I'm a foreigner and I'm black. Okay. So I was, the foreigner thing was from, I mean, maybe memory, maybe like third grade. But I mean, my mom was telling me that like, even in kindergarten, I would accidentally speak Igbo, which is our Nigerian language, um, because they were trying to teach me the language. I would accidentally speak it in class which was not good because they didn't understand what I was saying. So it's like, what's this funny language that this boy is singing? So us uh, speaking. So my situation may be a little bit nuanced, but I would say as young as probably five to six years old, if we were talking kindergarten, what about you, Tony? Well, when I thought about it, I couldn't quite remember right off the top of my head when, when we had that, that conversation in my family. And, and a lot of that I believe is because Born, born in North Carolina, growing up in, a, in the projects in North Carolina, and then moving to Baltimore, into West Baltimore, you see it. Um, well, when I say you see it, what I see is everybody 
in there around in that area is just like me. So, so we think about uh, to Jason's point. There, it's possible that people don't know that they're um, that they're racist because it's a learned behavior. But it's also possible that a black person may not know that they're being discriminated against, or even, um, uh, or even. Uh, being targeted or anything like that because those are learned behaviors. So for instance, if I'm walking down the street in, in Baltimore, you know, and the cops jump out, right? It's a learned behavior to, to just lie on the ground, right? You know, they, they grab you, they search you, they throw you up against, they do all those things. And when you're young growing up in the city, it's a, it's a learned behavior. And again, when I, when I spoke earlier, I talked about, you know, this idea, this awakening that happened when I got to college. It was when I got to college that I, that I started interacting and being around people who were different from me, both black and white. And, th and then I was able to kind of start to see how those things unfolded, you know. Well, I feel as a white woman and from my personal perspective with my family love them to death but i am nearly 35 and have never ever and this shows my white privilege never had a talk with my parents about race and i don't think that white people fully understand that that is not an option for black people like wow i mean it's keep not going. I mean, keep going. It's not an option. I, I've never, like, I know I'm not the exception to that either. I know that pretty much any friend that I've talked to the last couple weeks on this topic really was like, wow, I have never had that conversation with my family. So... It is not enough just to buy your child a black baby doll and say, we love people of all colors. It's not enough. Like it has to be a different, it has to, I don't, I, I don't have kids, so I can't really comment on how I would. Doll? Did you get a Kenya doll back in the day? You know, Kenya dolls is big back in, I think like, late 80s, early 90s. But here's the thing. There are, there are white families that don't even do that. Mm. But yet we, we, as a default, my sister, I mean, her, her first doll was white. Like we, we were given white, like white images to like, think about this. This is the, this is what I think people have to understand why we're not trying to, some people get frustrated saying we're trying to make everything about race. I think people need to understand the power of image and, and visual visualization and interaction. We were given white dolls, girls were given white dolls, boys were given white action figures, I'm gonna say action figures, yes. to play with and entertain ourselves as little boys and little girls. It was the default toy to have, you know? And so when you think about that, we equate that to our enjoyment. We equate that to 
our level of, you know, almost our self-value as yeah. well, right? Um, so on and so forth, right? And and so it was critical for like a Kenya doll or for the Black Barbies or for, you know, I don't know, some of the Black G.I. Joes that came out. I don't know. I'm just saying all these different things to help train, retrain our minds. Some of us are too old. Some of us, I mean, I'll be real with you. Some of us are just too old for that, right? Like we that that situation happened to us a long time ago. It's done. But some of this new generation, they 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 like the last twenty years, they probably grew up with having those those colors, right? So, I anyway, not to vent, but am I making sense, y'all? I'm sorry. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, it's it's it is it's it's part of the socialization. You you think about it. Um, to Jason's point, kids aren't born races kids aren't born um right. with this idea of uh discriminate uh, having discrimination or, or discriminating against, against other people those are all learned behaviors right and sometimes it's a, it's a behavior that's learned indirectly by changing the channel learned indirectly by locking the doors although it's not openly spoken in the house yeah. Yeah. you know um we didn't talk about race uh in our house but there were things that happened that again my that happened with my parents happened with my mom to let me know that okay this is how you handle yourself in this situation you know this is what you do um so it's so it's a again those um those learned behaviors they come from a lot of different places. You know, for me, it was when I got, got around my friends. I teach middle school now. Um, when, you're, when you're growing up, you're 10, 10 to 18, uh, and, 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 and even beyond, you're, you know, the approval of your friends yeah. Yeah. really dictate and determine, you know, how you live and the things that you do as a yeah. black man. Yeah. It's probably the same for white males. I don't know. Oftentimes, white males have their dads in the house. They have uncles. They have other things. But for a lot of black males, particularly if you're growing, in, growing up in a house without a dad, the, the approval of your friends, even if you have a dad, the approval of your friends becomes uh, the, singing, the, the single guiding factor. You know, and you learn things with them, through them, by them. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I'm 100% with you. I'm sorry, Ashley, did you have a comment to that? Oh, okay. I don't know why I thought I heard your voice for some reason. Um, no, I, I'm with you on all of that. And I feel like it's important for us to understand the, the criticality of, like, the environments. And it's just, it's wild. I'm going to go to another comment here. Um, Jason Thompson, real quick. It's funny, I'm on the Jasons, I think as my head is just stuck on the door. Jason made a few comments here, uh, Thompson, but, you know, he, he, he made a comment saying white Jesus. I think he made that statement when I was talking about the dolls, oh. um, which, is so, which is so right. Like, I, yeah. I remember, I remember the first time, I grew up in church. I remember the first time somebody had said to me, he was like, you do realize he's Jewish, right? Yeah. And I just sit there and I was kind of like, oh. Uh, that's a really good point. Like, <laughs> right. I just never, like, I just took whatever came to me. So I just did. Yeah. Yeah. Until I realized someone attached a culture to, to him. To, yeah. 
a different culture because the, the culture I thought about was, you know, long hair, blue eyes, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Six pack, right? Um, and six foot tall, probably, you know? Um, so I think that's critical. Let me look at the other comments real quick because we're going to wrap up in a second. Um, you know, uh, let me see. There was, there was one here. Let me see. A- Ashley, were you going to say something though, real quick before I um, comment? Uh, not that I know of. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, Jason Thompson made a comment earlier. This is what I was looking for. Even the comparison of animal rights to rights of black people is a foundation of white supremacy. I mean, yeah, yeah. Ashley, what do you think about that one? No, I, I see that. And see, I'm constantly learning and I have to learn in that to be comfortable with being told things like that and not jump on the defensive Right. Like, um, the whole thing about learning that my tears are oppressive too, so I'm careful with that. Ooh. Because I am a deep feeler. I feel very deeply. So when my friends hurt, I feel that too. And yeah. it's and so I've had to be very careful with that too. Yeah. But you also have to understand that there are people that learn their privilege by simplifying it down to to like the 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 simplest thing. Like I can learn from all different sources, but there are people that can only learn a one way to see Mm. their bias and to see their racism. So I I don't really know how I can point it out another way other than to say a lot of times that when you have, uh, for example, I'll just tell a quick snippet of a conversation that I had can can I pause you real quick? Yeah. So I want you to I want you to tell the conversation that you had, and then we got what I consider to be a very important question that came up on here that I want you to to comment on, and then we'll we'll wrap up with like Tony and then me. So so the thing is, tell your story. I'm going to mention this question. If you can answer this question, then I want Tony to talk. Uh, Lin, Lina or Lina? I want to pronounce the name properly, but I apologize. Sutherland said, "Can you tell me more about that?" Why are white tears oppressive? So before you answer that question, let's hear your story. But I think that's important to share because that- me to answer that because I don't know if it is because that is I've learned like I'm constantly learning, and this conversation is very fluid, so it's constantly evolving. Right. So you have to constantly learn. Yeah. And. So I don't know if I'm the right. I, if Tony can answer that, I, I have a small answer, but. Well, well, you give your answer first and then, and then I'll. But, I'll but I want to respect Ashley's story first. So Ashley, okay. tell your story okay. and we'll, we'll follow with the tears. Okay. Well, I had a conversation with a, cause I have a home decor account on Instagram. So I had a conversation with another home decor account that ended up getting me blocked, but that's a whole nother, a whole nother thing. But 
they have spoken very outwardly on um, human rights before in the sense of gay rights. And they have outwardly spoken about um, their feelings on vaccinations and highly political things prior to this coming into um, prominent news media, I would say. Because mm -hmm. it's been happening, it's been happening for years and years and years, but very prevalent here in the last couple weeks. And suddenly people are messaging this particular account, which has a huge following, saying, are you going to speak your mind on the thoughts of what's happening? And they, they have spoken on animal rights and all kinds of things. But when it came to speaking on Black Lives Matter and being asked their view on it, suddenly they were like, I'm a home decor account. I, people come here for a home decor advice and to laugh and be lighthearted. So we will not be speaking on the topic at hand. And it that's, made me that's angry. Best things. Yeah. It made me angry because just last week you were talking about the importance of wearing a mask during COVID-19 if you go out in public. And that's a human, it's a, COVID-19 has become a very political thing as well, as far as left and right reporting it differently. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, yeah. Tony, you got a response to that? Or, or, or uh, I, I do. We I got, do. We, uh, got, we got about, just time-wise, you got about five minutes max only because okay. I want to, I want to try to pull it in, but go ahead. Just, just, I want to, I want to try to answer that, that white tears comment. And I think that's what I think that's it. She just she just explained it. You did. You know, this, you kind I, of actually did. Yeah. This this idea of white tears is, you know, you're crying, right? You're crying here and now, but when it's time for you to go, you'll you'll get in your car, you'll drive back to your plush home in the suburbs, and you'll go back to living your life. You know, so those te those tears are, and I know in the hood we call them crocodile tears. You know, mm -hmm. you're just you're just crying. You're crying now. You feel bad now, but in in the grand scheme of things, you're moving on. And that's kind of what you explained. You know, this company, you know, had a lot to say, but now um, when it was time for them to stand up for Black Lives Matter, you know, they didn't have anything to say. Meaning or, or, you know, the connection being, you know, all those other things they were saying, they were just crocodile tears. They was just for show. They're not, they're not, they, they don't have any, they don't have any foundation for which they stand. Well, as them being a white account, they were able to speak on issues they felt directly affected them. Mm -hmm. Gay rights as a gay couple. Um, animal rights as owners of shelter dogs and um, COVID-19 on having um, medical 
um, professionals within their family. So it's easy for them to stand their ground and speak up on those mm -hmm. and then hide behind, oh, I'm a home decor account. People come here for home decor right. and to laugh when they felt like the topic didn't apply to them, which is bizarre to me because racism wouldn't, wouldn't exist without white supremacy. Racism wouldn't exist without white privilege. So where these people, where white people are saying it doesn't apply to me, it so does because we are the reason it exists. Mm. Wow. So, I mean, with that, on that note, I mean, this is, this conversation was amazing. Um, I, I, I'm, I learned a lot just even listening to both of you. Um, and Ashley, you said some things I just have not, never heard. I mean, I appreciate the perspective, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's huge. Not because it, you weren't pointing fingers and being negative. And this isn't blaming all white folks. This isn't like all black people will walk out here feeling like, oh yeah, we, we got it, you know, so on and so forth. But I think it's important for us to really gain these perspectives from one another for the purposes of understanding, right? Because for me, I want to be able to, it's tiring at times. I want to be able to um, play a role in the education of white America. I do. Some people don't. Some people are like, I'm tired of educating you. Here's a book, go do this, do whatever. And there's nothing wrong with that either. Go watch 13th, go do whatever, like, and all that. But I want to play a role in that, but I can't, I, you know, and I'm not a teacher by any means, but I can't educate if I don't understand my student. And I hate to say that to make it seem like they're beneath me. That's not the case. I just, the more I understand the people that are in front of me, the better it is I can say things that allows them to understand what I'm trying to teach them. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah. And it works the other way around. In order for them to learn, they have to, it, in order for us to learn, we have to understand the teacher. So yeah, that's important. Um, Tony, is there anything last you want to say um, at all? Well, I, I'm glad you, you, we had an opportunity to have this conversation. It seems like when you, uh, when you get down to the, the basis of it all, it's education. Yeah. You know, uh, the title of this is, you know, civil conversation. And what we've, what we're starting to realize is there's, and a lot of people are saying it. I think people have been saying it for a long time, saying it so much so that a lot of people now are starting to yell it and, and starting to move into action. But uh, I heard someone say uh, the other day is that change doesn't come about doing war. Change comes about doing peace. So I'm glad that we're able to start having these conversations because ultimately we all want change. We all want uh, this world to be a better place. We want uh, this idea, we want equality to be something that we can all benefit from. So again, I, I believe education is where it has to start. And how, how that happens, um, I think is another conversation. I know. Yeah, so that's why I keep looking down at my phone. Um, no, this is great. I really appreciate this. You two stay on. I'm going to end the stream in a second. Guys, for those who joined us today on Civil Conversations, I want to thank Ashley and Tony. Um, you, you guys are awesome. And thank you for giving perspectives um, of a white woman and a black man. I think it's important for everybody to walk away from this. Yeah, th thank you. I, I think it's important for everybody to walk away from this understanding that 